Chapter 14 of Key Out of Time by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Key Out of Time, Chapter 14 The Foana. Ross! Ash's hands gripped his shoulders as if never intending to free him again. Then you did come through. Ross understood. Gordon Ash must have feared that he was the only one swept through the time door by that freak chance. And Carrara and the Dolphins. Here? Now? In this black bowl of the Citadel Bay, Ash was only a shadow with voice and hands. No, out with the rover cruisers. Ash, do you know the Baldies are on Hawaika? They've organized this whole thing. The attack here, trouble all over. Right now they have one of their subs out there. That's what cut those cutters to pieces. Five days ago, five of them wiped out a whole rover fairing. Just five of them. Gordon! Unlike the hissing speech of the Hawaikans, this new voice made a singing, lilting call of Ash's name. This is your swordsman, in truth? Another shadow drew near them, and Ross saw the flutter of cloak-edge. This is my friend. There was a tone of correction in Ash's reply. Ross, this is the guardian of the Seagate. And you come, the Fawana continued, with those who gather to feast at the Shadow's table. But your rovers will find little loot to their liking. No. Ross hesitated. How did one address the Fawana? He had claimed equality with Torgal but that approach was not the proper one here. Instinct told him that. He fell back on the complete truth, uttered simply. We took three of the Baldy killers. From them we learned they moved to wipe out the Foana first. For you, he addressed himself to the cloaked shape, they believed to be a threat. We heard that they urged the wreckers to this attack, and so. And so the rovers come, but not to loot. Then they are something new among their kind. The Fawana's reply was as chill as the sea bay's water. Loot does not summon men who want a blood price for their dead kin, Ross retorted. No, and the rovers are believers in the balance of hurt against hurt, the Fawana conceded. Do they also believe in the balance of aid against aid? Now that is a thought upon which depends much. Gordon, it would seem that we may not take to our ships. So let us return to council." Ash's hand was on Ross's arm, guiding him through the murk. Though the fog which had choked the bay had vanished, thick darkness remained, and Ross noted that even the fires and flares were dimmed and fewer. Then they were in a passage where a very faint light clung to the walls. Robed Foana, three of them, moved ahead with that particular gliding progress. Then Ash and Ross, and bringing up the rear, a dozen of the mailed guards. The passageway became a ramp. Ross glanced at Ash. Like the Foana, the Terran agent wore a cloak of gray. But this did not shift color from time to time, as did those of the Hawaiian enigmas. And now Gordon shoved back its folds, revealing supple body armor questions gathered in Ross. He wanted to know, needed desperately to know, Ash's standing with the Foana. 
what had happened to raise Gordon from the status of captive in Zahur's hold to familiar companionship with the most dreaded race on this planet? The ramp's head faced blank wall with a sharp-angled turn to the right of a narrower passage. One of the Foana made a slight sign to the guards, who turned with drilled precision to march off along the passage. Now the other Foana held out their wands. What a moment earlier had been unbroken surface showed an opening. The change had been so instantaneous that Ross had not seen any movement at all. Beyond that door they passed from one world to another. Ross's senses, already acutely alert to his surroundings, could not supply him with any reason by sight, sound, or smell for his firm conviction that this hold was alien as neither the wrecker castle nor the rover ships had been. Surely the Fawana were not the same race, perhaps not even the same species, as the other native Hawaikans. Those robes, which he had seen both silver-gray and dark blue, now faded curled, thinned, until each of the three still gliding before him were opalescent columns without definite form. Ash's grasp fell on Ross's arm once more, and his whisper reached the younger man thinly. "'They are mistresses of illusion. Be prepared not to believe all that you see.' Mistresses. Ross caught that first. Women, or at least female, then. Illusion, yes, already, he was convinced that here his eyes could play tricks on him. He could hardly determine what was robe, what was wall, or if more than shades of shades swept before him. Another blank wall, then an opening, and flowing through it to touch him such a wave of alienness that Ross felt he was buffeted by a storm-wind. Yet, as he hesitated before it, reluctant in spite of Ash's hole to go ahead, he also knew that this did not carry with it the cold hostility he had known while facing the Baldies. Alien, yes. Inimical to his kind, no. "'You are right, younger brother.' Spoken those words, or forming in his mind. Ross was in a place which was sheer wonder. Under his feet dark blue, the blue of a Terran sky at dusk, caught up in it twinkling points of light as if he strode, not equal the stars, but above them. Walls. Were there any walls here? Or shifting, swaying blue curtains, on which silvery lines ran to form symbols and words, which some bemused part of his brain almost understood, but not quite. Constant motion, no quiet, until he came to a place where those swaying curtains were stilled where he no longer strode above the sky but on soft surface, a mat of gray living sod where his steps released a spicy fragrance. And there he really saw the Fawana for the first time. Where had their cloaks gone? Had they tossed them away during that walk or drift across this amazing room, or had the substance which had formed those coverings flowed away by itself? As Ross looked at the three in wonder, he knew that he was seeing them as not even their servants and guards ever viewed them. And yet, was he seeing them as they really were, or as they wished him to see them? As we are, younger brother, as we are. Again an answer which Ross was not sure was thought or speech. In form they were humanoid, 
and they were undoubtedly women. The muffling cloaks gone, they wore sleeveless garments of silver, which were girded at the waist with belts of blue gems. Only in their hair and their eyes did they betray alien blood. For the hair which flowed and wove about them, cascading down shoulders, rippling about their arms, was silver too. And it swirled, moved as if it had a separate life of its own. While their eyes... Ross looked into those golden eyes and was lost for seconds until panic awoke in him, forcing him after a sharp struggle to look away. Laughter? No, he had not heard laughter. But a sense of amusement tinged with respect came to him. "'You are very right, Gordon. This one is also of your kind. He is not witch's meat.' Ross caught the distaste, the kind of haunting unhappiness which colored those words, remnants of an old hurt. These are the Fawana. Ash's voice broke more of the spell. The Lady Inlan, the Lady Ingram, the Lady Invalda. The Fawana? These three only? She whom Ash had named Inlan, whose eyes had entrapped and almost held what was Ross Murdoch made a small gesture with her ivory hand, and in that gesture, as well as in the words witches meet, that Terran read the unhappiness which was as much a part of this room as the rest of its mystery. The Fawana are now but three. They have been only three for many weary years, O man from another world and time. And soon, if these enemies have their way, they will not be three, but none. But Ross was still startled. He knew from Loketh that the wreckers had deemed the Fawana few in number, an old and dying race. But that there were only three women left was hard to believe. The response to his unspoken wonder came clear and determined. We may be but three, however, our power remains, and sometimes power distilled by time becomes the stronger. Now it would seem that time is no longer our servant, but perhaps among our enemies. So tell us this tale of yours as to why the rovers would make one with the Foana. Tell us all, younger brother." Ross reported what he had seen, what Tino Rao and Tawa had learned from the prisoners taken at Kin Ad. And when he had finished, the three Foana stood very still their hands clasped one to the other. Though they were only an arm's distance from him, Ross had the feeling they had withdrawn from his time and world. So complete was their withdrawal that he dared to ask Ash one of the many questions which had been boiling inside him. Who are they? But Ross knew he really meant, what are they? Gordon Ash shook his head. I don't really know the last of a very old race which possesses powers and knowledge different from any we have believed in for centuries. We have heard of witches. In the modern day we discount the legends about them. The Fawana bring those legends alive. And I promise you this, if they turn those powers loose—' He paused. "'It will be such a war as this world, perhaps any world, has never seen.' That is so. The Fawana had returned from the place to which they had withdrawn. 
And this is also the truth, or one face of the truth. The rovers are right in their belief that we have kept some measure of balance between one form of change and another on this world. If we were as many as we once were, then against us these invaders could not move at all. But we are three only, and also, do we have the right to evoke disaster which will strike not only the enemy, but perhaps recoil upon the innocent? There has been enough death here already, and those who are our servants shall no longer be asked to face battle to keep an empty shell inviolate. We would see with our own eyes these invaders, probe what they would do. There is ever change in life, and if a pattern grows too set, then the race caught in it may wither and die. Maybe our pattern has been too long in its old design. We shall make no decision until we see in whose hands the future may rest." Against such finality of argument there was no appeal. These could not be influenced by words. "'Gordon, there is much to be done. Do you take with you this younger brother and see to his needs? When all is in readiness, we shall come.' One minute Ross had been standing on the carpet of living moss. Then he was in a more normal room with four walls, a floor, a ceiling, and light which came from rods set in the corners. He gasped. "'Stunned me, too, the first time they put me through it,' he heard Ash say. "'Here, get some of this inside you. It'll steady your head.' There was a cup in his hand a beautifully carved, rose-red container, shaped in the form of a flower. Somehow Ross brought it to his lips with shaking hands, gulped down a good third of its contents. The liquid was a mixture of tart and sweet, cooling his mouth and throat, but warming it as it went down, and that glow spread through him. "'What? How did they do that?' he demanded. Ash shrugged. How do they do the hundred and one things I've seen happen here? We've been teleported. How it's done, I don't know any more than I did the first time it happened. Simply a part of Fawana magic, as far as spectators are concerned. He sat down on a stool, his long legs stretched out before him. Other worlds, other ways, even if they are confounded queer ones. As far as I know, there's no reason for their power to work, but it does. Now, have you seen the time-gate? Is it in working order?" Ross put down the now-empty cup and sat down opposite Ash. As concisely as he could, he outlined the situation with a quick resume of all that had happened to him, Carrara, and the Dolphins since they had been sucked through the gate. Ash asked no questions, but his expression was that of the agent Ross had known, evaluating and listing all the younger man had to report. When the other was through he said only two words. No return. So much had happened in so short a time that Ross's initial shock at the destruction of the gate had faded, been well overlaid by all the demands made upon his resources, skill, and strength. Even now the fact Ash voiced seemed of little consequence balanced against the struggle in progress. Ash, 
Ross rubbed his hands up and down his arms, brushing away grains of sand. Remember those pylons with the empty seacoast behind them? Does that mean the Baldies are going to win? I don't know. No one has ever tried to change the course of history. Maybe it is impossible even if we dared to try. Ash was on his feet again, pacing back and forth. Try what, Gordon? Ross jerked around. Ash halted. One of the Fawana stood there, her hair playing about her shoulders, as if some breeze felt only by her stirred those long strands. Dare to try and change the course of the future, Ash explained, accepting her materialization with the calm of one who had witnessed it before. Ah, yes, you're traveling in time. And now you think that perhaps this poor world of ours has a choice as to which overlords it will welcome. I do not know either, Gordon, whether the future may be altered, nor if it be wise to try. But also, well, perhaps we should see our enemy before we are set in any path. Now it is time that we go. Younger brother, how did you plan to leave this place when you accomplished your mission? By the Seagate. I have extra swimming equipment cached under the jetty. And the rover ships await you at sea? Yes. Then we shall take you away, since the cutters are sunk. There is only one extra gill-pack, and that baldy sub is out there, too. So? Then we shall try another road, though it will sap our power temporarily." Her head inclined slightly to the left, as if she listened. "'Good. Our people are now in the passage which will take them to safety. What those outside will find here when they break in will be of little aid to their plans. Secrets of the Fawana remain secrets past others prying. Though they shall try, oh, how they shall try to solve them! There is knowledge that only certain types of minds can hold and use, and to others it remains for all time unlearnable. Now, her hand reached out, flattened against Ross's forehead, think of your rover ship, younger brother, see it in your mind, and see well and clearly for me. Torgal's cruiser was there. He could picture with details he had not thought he knew or remembered the deck in the dark of the night with only a shaded light at the mast. The deck. Ross gave a choked cry. He did not see this in his mind. He saw it with his eyes. His hand swung out in an involuntary gesture of repudiation and struck painfully against wood. He was on the cruiser. A startled exclamation from behind him. Then a shout. Ash was here, and beyond him three cloaked figures, the Foana. They had their own road indeed, and had taken it. "'You! Ross!' Vister fronted them, his face a mixture of bewilderment and awe. "'The Fawana!' said in a half-whisper, echoed by crewmen gathering around, but not too close. "'Gordon!' Carrara elbowed her way between two of the Hawaikans and ran across the deck. She caught the agent's both hands as if to assure herself that he was alive and there before her. Then she turned to the three Foana. There was an odd expression on the Polynesian girl's face, first of measurement with some fear, 
and then of dawning wonder. From beneath the cloak of the middle Fuana came the rod of office with its sparkling knob. Carrara dropped Ash's hands, took a tentative step forward, and then another. The knob was directly before her, breast-high. She brought up both hands, cupping them about the knob, but not touching it directly. The sparks it emitted could have been flashing against her flesh, but Carrara displayed no awareness of that. Instead, she lifted both hands farther, palm up and cupped, as if she carried some invisible bounty, then flattened them, loosing what she held. There was a sigh from the crewman. Carrara's gesture had been confident, as if she knew just what she was doing and why. And Ross heard Ash draw a deep breath, also as the Terran girl turned, allying herself with the Foana. "'These great ones stand in peace,' she said. It is their will that no harm comes to this ship and those who sail in her." "'What do the Great Ones want of us?' Torgal advanced, but not too near. "'To speak concerning those who are your prisoners.' "'So be it,' the captain bowed. "'The Great One's will is our will. Let it be as they wish.'" End of chapter 14